Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Sunday, January 22nd. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. One of the things that bothers me almost as much as deceit is hypocrisy. And as I've watched news and listened to news about the World Economic Forum's meeting in Davos, the world's political leaders, many of them, the world's wealthy, the world's tech giants, the world's industrial giants, banking giants, the hypocrisy and the arrogance, quite honestly, of these people is astonishing to me. The hypocrisy is so blatant on its face. I mean, they fly in with private jets, hundreds, I don't even know, maybe thousands of them, certainly hundreds of private jets. And the carbon footprint, right, their concern for climate change is so hypocritical because the emissions from those planes in the to and the from Davos, from the various parts of the world, I have read equals... 350,000 automobiles driving around for a week. (laughs) So it's one of those instances where it's do as we say, but not as we do. It never goes over well, and it really never ends well. Because people who think that they live by a separate set of rules, people who think that they are above the law, people who think that they can, in, in many ways, enslave and power over others, historically, time and time again, fail. You know, I mentioned in, I think, my most recent podcast, I think it was last Sunday, I was talking about reading Bibi Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel's autobiography, and what a remarkable work it is. And in that particular podcast, I said that there were many issues that I had come upon in the book that being pressed for time in one podcast, I couldn't address. But I found them important because they so tie almost synchronistically to what's happening here and what has happened here in the United States. And I went over two of the major ones in that podcast. And to some extent, I need to reference a few more in this podcast, because I've not read anywhere else the kind of identical occurrences happening to one politician that transfer identically to the situation that has happened both with Donald Trump and with Joe Biden. One similarly and one, well, 180 degrees in the other direction. I want to start with the obvious, we know the hatred in this country for Donald Trump. And Really, I don't care what your politics are. You cannot objectively look at what the press did to him and what the DOJ and the FBI have done to him. From the moment he entered the presidential race in 2016 until today, it has never stopped. 
it is been documented that somewhere over 90%, and it might be closer to 96 or 7% of the media coverage that he got during his presidency was negative from mainstream media. And something very similar happened to Netanyahu. And the reason that I think it's important that we look at this is because everything in the book that I read that happened to Netanyahu happened in advance of it happening to Trump. And some of it overlapped, but you cannot mistake the pattern. And when you see an identical pattern, it makes you wonder. And in the case of Netanyahu and Trump, it really makes me wonder because in Netanyahu's autobiography, as I mentioned in the prior podcast, he talks about how admittedly, and when I say admittedly, I mean admitted by Bill Clinton, that the Clinton administration and the Obama administration both sent over Democratic operatives to Israel in attempts to prevent Netanyahu from winning the elections that he was running for at the time. And I think it's those very same techniques and operations that were done in Israel were brought back again from where they originated here to the United States and applied against Trump. One of the things that I share here is from Netanyahu's book. Here's the exact language from the book. Too many in the ruling elites believed I had betrayed my social class. Educated and politically influential, I led the, quote, plebeians, end quote, to power. Worse, I led them in the wrong direction. The elites believed that if not for me, vast parts of the public would have acquiesced to far-reaching territorial withdrawals, the redivision of Jerusalem, and other central items on the left's agenda. This patronizing attitude didn't consider the possibilities that my supporters and I shared the same views. I'm going to go back to that line in a minute. Broad swaths of the Israeli public supported me precisely because I held and defended their ideals and values. The elites expressed contempt by dubbing my supporters Bibiists, people with no independent views of their own. As time went on, all these factors resulted in me becoming the subject of an unrelenting campaign of character defamation, a combination of press calumny and legal harassment, end quote. So let me go back to the line about this patronizing attitude didn't consider the possibility that my supporters and I shared the same views. I think that line is particularly important because it relates to both Netanyahu and Trump. The press in both countries either never considered or don't care that both of those politicians somehow struck a chord with the average citizen and that what they were doing in their own countries, Netanyahu in his and Trump in ours, was exactly what the populace wanted them to do. And that's exactly why the elites in both countries, why the left in both countries, and by the press, and why the press in both countries went after both of these men repeatedly, doggedly, relentlessly, and are still doing it. Netanyahu was just elected, re-elected, I guess it is, to be prime minister of Israel again. This will be his, I believe, third term. And they are out to get him with knives drawn. 
And because they don't have a constitution, as we have here in the United States, there's no distribution of power. There's no balance of power. The Supreme Court in Israel is self-appointed. When vacancies become available, they fill them themselves. There's no check and balance on it. And it is vehemently trying to take him out now because he wants to change that. He doesn't want that kind of concentrated power where they answer to no one, including the people, to be determinative regardless of what election results are, meaning regardless of what the people want. Again, that's the crux of the point I'm making here, that both of these politicians, although one could argue that they are of the elite, right? Because Netanyahu admits that he is highly educated, that he was educated and politically influential. His family was. His father wrote the equivalent of the Britannica, the Encyclopedia Britannica, pre-internet, if those of you who remember, if not, look it up. It's the way we got our knowledge before we had technology that we have now. His father wrote the entire equivalent of the Encyclopedia Britannica, only he did it for the state of Israel. He has a long, he, Netanyahu, has a long history of both um, education and political influence in his family. Similarly with Trump, he is arguably of that class, that jet set class, that moneyed class that ran around the world. And yet both of these men rise to power, rise to political power, rise to the highest offices in the land in which they live. And then they speak for the people. They do what the people want them to do. They ease the tax burden. They improve the economy. They make the country more secure. Netanyahu created the fence had the fence built that blocked off all of the terrorism that was coming across the Jordanian border. And the world press said that he had put up, you know, an an unbreachable fence and that it was because of his hatred of Arabs. And the reality is that the fence is built in such a way in Israel that it can come down easily as soon as the terror is over. And despite the fence, he has made it possible by increasing the passage points between the Arab sectors and Israel for 150,000 Palestinians to go back and forth every day to work in Israel. But you never hear that. Just like you never hear about the good things that Trump did for the country, such as take illegal immigration down to levels it had never been at before. Compare that with this last month of December, where 250,000 encounters at our southern border, which is the highest it's ever been, crossed our border. But people don't want to look at that. Why? Because there is a political agenda. There is a left Marxist socialist agenda. There is a global elite agenda that coincides nicely with the kind of authoritarianism and totalitarianism that Marxism and socialism ultimately and communism result in. They dovetail beautifully. And so we have these elites, these people in Davos, headed by Klaus Schwab, whose whole family history is one of Nazi connections. Klaus Schwab, who believes that he knows better, along with the Bill Gateses of the world, who believe they know better, know better about how you should live, know better about what should be in your body. Yesterday, I read a quote by Bill Gates that said, 
I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember the quote, but in essence was vaccines in food, in the food supply, mitigate or even eliminate the problem of vaccine hesitancy. So Bill Gates, who has bought up probably more farmland in the United States than anyone else, agricultural land, the land we grow food on, believes that vaccines should now be in your food because you had the ability to say no to the mRNA vaccine. And he doesn't ever want that to happen again. He wants to be able to inject your body with what he wants, when he wants, the way he wants. And that is the attitude of the Davos crowd. That is the attitude of the elites, not just in Davos, but here in this country as well. Congress has forgot its role of being representative of the people. Congress, which was supposed to be something that our elected officials went to Washington on occasion to handle federal government work, Washington has now become, being a member of Congress has now become a full-time job as is lobbying those people because they know better than we do what is best for us. When I was reading the autobiography, I read a quote from John Curry. You know, Netanyahu is very kind in his book. He he, he shares a lot of very high-level interactions that he had throughout the course of his political life with leaders all over the world. And he rarely speaks adversely of anyone. One of the people he does speak adversely of in regard to his approach to Israel is Obama and also Nancy Pelosi, who turned her back on him. I mentioned this in a prior podcast when Netanyahu spoke to the U.S. Congress. But he says something about John Curry, which is just astonishing. Well, it's not astonishing. It's probably predictable, but it's arrogant. I shouldn't have said astonishing. I should have said arrogant. He says something about Curry, and it's when Shimon Peres died in 2016. He was the former prime minister of Israel. Many world leaders came to the funeral. Bill Clinton came, Obama came, and John Curry came. And I want to read you what Bibi Netanyahu says that Curry said to him. Quote, Kerry, who led the negotiations with Iran, remember, this was the Iran deal under the Obama administration that gave them a pathway to the bomb, the same Iran deal that Trump got us out of and that Biden tried to get us back into but hasn't been able to. So again, I'll start. Kerry, who led the negotiations with Iran, had a message for me that he passed through one of the Israelis who had attended the funeral, quote, Tell Bibi, he said, that if he wants a funeral like this one, he'd better change his policies. Tell Curry, I replied to the messenger, that it's not my funeral I'm concerned with, but Israel's. End quote. There is an arrogance in telling the leader of a democratic country that if he wants a big funeral, he better change his policies. That's something I would expect out of John Curry, the arrogance, the elitism, the condescension, and the belief that he has the kind of power that could actually influence the leader of a foreign nation. They've not been able to stop Netanyahu, and they haven't been able to stop Trump. Why? Well, I believe, and it's only my personal opinion, that not so much might makes right, 
but truth makes right. Or at least having the right intention makes right. I believe that Trump has the best interest of the United States at heart and had it throughout his entire presidency. And I believe the same of Netanyahu. And when I look at both of those terms of office, I believe that they both made a similar mistake. And that mistake was the vaccine. I believe that Trump will be held accountable and so will Netanyahu. You know, Netanyahu made sure that 98% of the Israeli public was vaccinated because he cut a deal with Pfizer to be a test case for the state of Israel to be the test case because of its socialized medicine system, because the state of Israel has computerized records because they exist on every single citizen, they were in a unique position to track the thoroughness of vaccination of the mRNA vaccine that Pfizer had and also the long-term effects. I believe that that vaccine was dangerous and still is. And so I think that Trump, while his heart was in the right place and Netanyahu, while his heart was in the right place, history may show that they erred. However, in every other regard, in terms of their nation's security, their borders, their economies, what they did for minorities during their terms are unprecedented. When I think of what has happened to these two men, and I believe it's the same individuals running both shows, running both oppositions, the patterns are too similar the press hounding, the endless investigations that turn up nothing. They had eight or nine investigations on Netanyahu and every single one of them fizzled in the end. They've been after Trump for six years and haven't been able to find anything on him. There are no accidents. There is a force of good in the universe and I believe it stands with both Netanyahu and with Trump. But we have, as I said, a two-tier justice system here, certainly in this country. And you can see it never more plainly than how the FBI and the DOJ and the press are now treating all of these classified and in some cases top secret documents that Joe Biden either negligently or willfully as part of a treasonous act allowed to be unsecured in a variety of locations. There were FBI agents, guns drawn ablazing at Mar-a-Lago. Joe Biden was allowed to go to Wilmington for the week, allowed to go to Rehoboth, sorry, for the weekend, while in the latest search of his home, the FBI turned up even more documents this past weekend. A two-tiered justice system where Biden says he has no regrets. He has no regrets because he knows something. He knows you can't indict a sitting president in this country. Not so in Israel. You can indict a sitting prime minister. And that's why the Supreme Court and the Attorney General over there are chomping at the bit to bring down Netanyahu. So after all of this highlighting of where we are and how we got here in the moment, both in terms of Donald Trump and in terms of Bibi Netanyahu in Israel, let me sum up this way. I received a text from a friend yesterday. And she said, we're in deep trouble in this country. Nothing will stop the Gestapos who are meeting in Davos to fine tune its world domination. And I replied, it can be stopped. It's up to each of us in our own way. 
We have to seize every opportunity to speak and live truth and oppose deceit and tyranny, no matter how small our efforts may seem. It can be stopped, but people have to stand up, and when we do, God will intervene. There are two biblical examples, in my opinion. They may not be literally biblical. They're, they're a commentary on the Bible and Judaism. One of them is the interpretation of Pharaoh's daughter at the Nile River bathing with her handmaidens when a basket comes down the river and she reaches out and pulls the basket out of the river. And of course, in it is the baby Moses. Well, the interpretation in Judaism that's taught is that how is that possible? The Nile isn't a creek. It's miles and miles wide. How did a young girl reach out her arm and pull a basket out of the Nile? And the answer is because she reached as far as she could and God did the rest. That's example number one. Second example is the parting of the Red Sea. When the Israelites reached the Red Sea, which by the way is the reed sea in Hebrew and Aramaic because of the reeds that grow along the water's edge, but in the Greek Greek translation, it became the Red Sea. When the Israelites reached the Red Sea and it seemed as if their back was against literally the wall, meaning water, Moses prayed for help. He asked God for help, but nothing happened. God told them to go into the water and they were terrified. But one person, Nachshem ben Aminadab, is remembered in Judaism as the first to go down into the sea. According to the traditional telling, Moses had directed the Israelites to step into the sea, but they were unwilling to do so until Nachshem sprang forward and plunged into the water. He struggled under the waves and was nearly drowned before it parted. Two examples of an individual doing everything they could do in their small part and God doing the rest. This is where we are. Do not feel hopeless. Do not feel helpless. Every single day in your own life, take every opportunity to, as I said, speak and live truth, oppose deceit and tyranny, no matter how small, even if it's the arrogance of someone in a store who's trying to pull authority over you when you know you're right and they're wrong. You must stand for what is good and what is true. And when each of us does that, When we do that, when we do everything we can do, that's when God will do the rest. I want to leave you with a quote, again, from Netanyahu, and the quote is about democracy. A democracy must find a balance between civil liberties and public security. Everyone has a right to privacy. It's a basic right that defines us as human beings. This is a foundational right of free societies, and it demands that we not abuse the technological prowess that was developed by the security agencies. I believe that democracy and the rule of law require the utmost respect for individual rights. No one is above the law, including the prime minister. But equally true, 
No citizen can be subjected to criminal practices by the law enforcement agencies, including the prime minister. Let's make sure in this country, in our country, that our law enforcement agencies are using their power properly, using it equally, applying it equally, that no one is above the law and no one is being harassed by the law for political purposes or the agendas of arrogant elitists who think they know more than we do about how to live our lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again next Sunday. And until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.